Bad on Bears fans, another edition of the Chicago Bears podcast coming your way. It's your host, Pat the Designer, back at it again, joined by Courtney Cronin. We will also have a very special guest on the crossover episode, another Eye on the Enemy episode coming your way. Got to see what's going on with the dog pound over there. They got some dogs on that defensive line, but also some injuries. And we got some here, Courtney, uh, very, uh, I'm not going to say major Injury news, of course, yesterday, Yannick Ngakwe, that's the major news. Uh, but there was a name on that injury report that Bears fans might not have expected to be there. Yeah, DJ Moore not practicing yesterday. He has an ankle injury, which aligns with everything he told us post game after the Lions win that on that third carry he had in the third quarter. Remember, he exited the game for like yeah. a couple of snaps. He said afterwards that, you know, when he was getting tackled, he felt his ankle get twisted up a little bit, that he had yep. to go to the sideline. You know, he didn't go in the injury tent. There wasn't any designation. It was a very brief thing. Like, if you, if you blink, you might have missed it because he was right back in there pretty soon after in the third quarter. But he said he was good. And then the Bears held him out of practice on Wednesday. Now, they switched up their schedule. It was a lighter day. They were in helmets yesterday. Today, they will be in shells uh, to get a little bit more work in. So we'll see if it's just like a precautionary thing. But to see DJ Moore on the injury report with an ankle injury when he was when he got injured as being used as a running back certainly makes you go, okay, it's a little risky to put your best offensive player in that position where he could get hurt like that. Maybe maybe that'll make them want to like reel in those sorts of plays um, going forward. We only, I think we only saw him with three carries on the day, the touchdown, yeah. the fourth and one, and then the one that he ended up getting hurt on. But, you know, we, I just, I know I noticed it right away. Like he had a, you know, a ski hat on, no helmet, and he was off to the side. He wasn't stretching. So, you could tell pretty early on that he wasn't going to be doing anything at practice. But other, other than that, like on the injury report, it's it's pretty much like everything that we already knew. Equinemius St. Brown, who has the pectoral injury, he was not practicing yesterday. Dylan Cole, for some per, for personal reasons, not there. And then Jaquan Brisker has a groin injury. He was limited, but you know we know that he when he left the game in the first half, it sounded like it was more of a situation where he got the wind knocked out of him, yeah. not a groin injury. And I mean, my goodness, can you, you could understand him having a groin injury after 17 tackles. Um, that's probably what it's related to, but you know, not a full participant, but he was getting some work in yesterday. So we'll get a chance to see if he's able to build on that game against uh, the Cleveland Browns. I would imagine. So, I mean, he's a tough guy. He plays a very physical position and he yeah. plays it in a very physical manner, but just something to keep an eye on as, uh, as they get ready for practice on Thursday. I think that's the, the, the good thing about the names that we do have on this injury report. If there is a positive to look at from that, right? These are guys in DJ Moore and Jaquan Brisker who they both feel like you're going to have to take me out at the legs before you mm -hmm. keep me out of a game. Right. And so even right. DJ Moore, we talked with J Mac uh, on the post post game show. He said, you know, uh, team man, it took DJ's helmet and the equipment manager basically was like, you know, all right, sit yeah. down, get yourself checked out. And as soon as they finished doing whatever they were doing over, they snatches the helmet back runs on the field. I believe mm -hmm. right after that pretty much is when the touchdown came Oh, no, it might have been a little bit later in the game. But right after that, I believe he made a uh, uh, a big play. And, and 
Those are the moments you yeah, look at. Yeah, the catch right? down like, the the catch down the home team sideline came yeah. like pretty soon after that. And no, he's not somebody that wants to be out of games. They can't afford to not have him in games <laughs> either. True. So you have to factor that in. And I'm sure you know we'll get a chance to hear from Luke Getzey this morning. We'll see. You know, I'm curious about the rationale about using him in those situations, but also knowing the line that you have to balance where he's a receiver. He's not a, you know, 220 pound running back. Like, how, like how, the play design is great on that first one. But like then then as you go along in the game, how do you know or how do you balance I'm going to sprinkle this wrinkle in here? They might not be expecting it. It could be a quick first down for us versus. I don't want to get my guy hurt and then not be able to utilize him in what he does best, which is catch passes, which is using that incredible body control, which yeah. is using that speed. You don't want to, you know, an ankle injury, you think, okay, hopefully he can still turn the jets on uh, the opposing defenders if and when he needs to, because he's, he's such a big yak contributor for this bears offense. And that's how Justin Fields has been able to generate a lot of his yards this season against an injured Cleveland defense, you know, there might be an opportunity to use DJ more in those situations more than we saw. I mean, obviously Justin Fields, you know, being able to string together some some deeper passes is a good thing, but if you do need to turn to, you know, the short quick slants to get it out um and then rely on DJ more speed, you just hope that the ankle wouldn't slow him down in those instances. Yeah, and and I think uh, by the way, I did I had a bunch of people correcting me uh about uh the the Deontay Foreman cuz I said 215 220. He's 236, even yeah. more reason Huge. not to have your wide receiver running the football on a fourth and one. 6 foot 236. And a bunch of people that were like 215. Go up, bud. So, listen. I I I think that I think the Bears found something. I do want to say this, right? Like, because expect to see, maybe not this week, but expect to see down the line that first touchdown play design possibly yet again because that is a design that can be used. You hand the football off the fields. Maybe he throws a little pitch play over the top, right? Like, there's a bunch of things they can do off of that. I actually expect to see that one again. Just not the fourth and one one. I don't need to see that ever again. Let's they've keep gotten it. they've gotten creative with their fourth and ones, and some of them have worked, some of them haven't. We talked the other day about that direct snap to Cole Komet that sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But I'll be very curious to hear from Luke Getze about that play design in specific because again, like you can't have a momentum killer, and you hope that this team has been through you know, been through enough of those situations where they know how to flush that play and not let it affect the momentum the way that it did at the end of the second quarter or yeah. you know, throughout the remainder of the second quarter. But you just, you can't put guys in situations where I understand it's it's an unscouted look. It's something that you think could trick the defense, but you also got to take into account the effectiveness of those plays and, you know, not putting guys in situations where they might get dinged up. Even though he did it on that play, you just never know. Now, before we get to our special guest, I do want to ask you one more question. Bears related about uh, the the Justin Fields comments. And, mm -hmm. you know, are we hearing anything from the NFL about this at all? Because this is something been consistent with Justin. He talked about, you know, I, I think it was, who was it after the game? It was Jaquan Brisker, I think, that came out and spoke up basically for him saying, he's getting hit after the play. We got to do something about this. You're going to get our quarterback killed. Justin kind of talked about that as well at the podium yesterday. What are your thoughts kind of on the comments on some of the flags that uh, that we haven't seen from Justin Fields? And do we expect yeah. any change to come? Because we see this a lot with guys who are 
who are runners, right? Lamar mm-hmm. dealt with this. I, I'll say Josh Allen deals with this a little bit as well. Yeah, and so like Jaquan Brisker on Monday, you know, he's he's been very vocal about this. I know that he he does his own radio appearances throughout the week. He doubled down on what he said that, you know, he just wishes that the officials would take into consideration when Justin Fields gives himself up as a runner to protect him a little bit more in those instances. And he went as far to say that, um, you know, the other teams are being told to, like, play him a certain way. And Fields was asked about that. He's like, I can't really speak on that. Obviously, he's not going to say, yeah, they're, like, trying to hurt me. Like, yeah. but, I, but I get it from a defender's perspective. That's an interesting thing to say because he would, you know, he's played mobile quarterbacks before. How you defend a mobile quarterback like a Justin Fields is different than how you defend, you know, a Joe Flacco that you're going to yeah. face this weekend. So I thought that that was, um, you know, an eye-opening comment that could also just be passion from a teammate trying to protect his guy. And I think that Fields kind of played it up the same way. To me, what stood out the most is, you know, you haven't heard Matt Eberflus double down and say the refs need to protect the quarterback, but our quarterback better. He, he's he been very realistic about this. Of course, a defensive-minded head coach understands that in defending quarterbacks like Justin Fields, there's a give and a take with that from the quarterback's perspective that, like, once he gives himself – you know, up as a runner, that can make it a little tricky for the officials to know, you know, as far as like what, you know, anything more they can do to protect the quarterback. They're turning these plays in, they're talking to the officials before the game. But like what Flus was saying is that it's hard at times because when Fields gets to the perimeter, you're so close to, you know, being inbounds versus out of bounds. And it's kind of that Patrick Mahomes argument of, like the intent was the quarterback going out of bounds. Was he trying to stay in bounds? Like, do you get the 15 yard penalty for getting hit in those situations? Some quarterbacks do some quarterbacks don't. The bottom line is that there should be like no hit to the head, the shoulder area, all of that. Um, And that's what the coaches are trying to preach before the game field says that he talks to the officials every single game. It's just, you know, when he says that he does that and then the first play of the game when, you know, it's a, you know, he keeps it and then he runs to his left and then Jack Campbell, a very, very obvious late hit there when he's trying to tackle him, then Fields doesn't get the flag. It's kind of like, okay, like what more can the guy do? And it's nothing new. I think it's been going on for him since his rookie year and he knows that. And it's not a point that he wants to belabor because he knows that, you know, if it hasn't gone his way at this point, it's probably not going to be something that's going to change drastically. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see, especially, right, I, I think that it's more the the head and neck area mm-hmm. that we've seen just repeatedly not get called. I think even after, right, like the one where he likes, he slides and then there's like, he gets hit. I forget who makes the tackle, but he's basically got like his groin in his face pretty much. Yeah. Like and he he's all over his over head. Him. Yeah. And it's like, I get it. There's no intent there, but also that's a flag, boys. Like you got to. You gotta you you have to keep these guys honest on the defensive end because if you allow them to do it, they will. And that does concern me a little bit about Justin Fields, especially with the defense that we have coming in this week. And uh wanna bring in Browns analyst Max Loeb, host of the dog check on Believe. He hosts it with former three-time Pro Bowler and two-time all pro running back Eric Metcalf. Let's welcome Max into the building. Max, what's going on, man? Thank you guys for having me. I'm very, very excited to be here. You guys hear me okay? Oh, yeah, yeah you gotcha. sound great. Okay, you sound great. 
Awesome. Yeah, very excited to be like here. You do a podcast, man. Yeah, two weeks <laughs> yeah. in a row we've had guests on who have like their own mic, their own headset. Uh, like, you know, you you're, you you fit the bill. This is perfect. It's Sweet. like you do your own podcast. Yes, something something like that. But yes, I'm very very happy to be on. Very excited to talk about this game. I think it's going to be an awesome game. To be honest with you guys, I think this is going to be a defensive battle, even yeah. with some of the issues that the uh, Cleveland Browns are dealing with. Uh, I mean, listen, when you started off right. I felt like I was personally causing injuries because I refreshed Twitter three times. And every <laughs> single time I refreshed Twitter, there was a new Browns injury yeah. that was popping up. But the one thing about the Browns that I found out after doing research on the team, digging a little bit deeper, is there's a lot of pieces in there that are still some some high names, some high draft picks that they've looked to, right? Isaiah McGuire possibly coming off a practice squad. He was their fourth-round pick this year. There's some depth on this Browns team. What's the expectation for this defense, especially knowing that you have a guy in Miles Garrett who just makes guys' lives easier? Yeah, I think the expectation probably won't change. I think defensively, the the biggest two talking points, and what's crazy is the news of both of these guys being, actually Grant Delpit is not out for the season, but he's placed on IR. Mm -hmm. But you got the news of Grant Delpit being placed on IR. He was injured in the game this past week against the Jaguars. Yeah. Um, I don't remember the time, but legitimately six, seven minutes later, uh, Obo Okoronkwo he got like five sacks on the year, four and a half sacks, their third down pass rush specialist out for the year. So I don't think the expectation will really change, but missing those two guys is going to be tough. However, it does seem like Denzel Ward will be back for the first time in three weeks this week. And to be honest with you, you'd be hard pressed to find better corners in the NFL than Ward. And honestly, the guy in Chicago this year too, but it's, it's a really, really tough spot. And they've kind of gotten exposed in the back end with a little bit without Denzel Ward, but it's yeah. a huge huge piece that's coming back and like you said miles garrett makes everybody else's lives easier i think dalvin tomlinson the defensive tackle is is really the key cog in this defense because he just eats double teams it's hard to run on them it makes lives easier for garrett to darius smith no more okoronkwo but other pass rushers around them i think he is kind of the key cog key cog with garrett but the expectation defensively it's it's hard to expect a big change it's been the catalyst for this team all year I mean, my goodness, the the litany of injuries that have become like season ending yeah. ones. I mean, you hear about Maurice Hurst the other day and then the Okoronkwo one. I want to focus on that because I know he's their third their third edge rusher. But yeah. when you look at the splits where Miles Garrett's playing about, what, 81 percent of snaps a season and then like mm -hmm. Z and Okoronkwo are somewhere in that 55, 56 range. Like, when you lose that third edge rusher and Miles Garrett's on a three game drought of not having a second like, how yeah. do they compensate there because that feels like a pretty big task when this is somebody who has eaten up a lot of snaps helping miles garrett come through you know last couple of weeks dealing with a shoulder injury what's the game plan for them as far as that loss because it, i know they didn't rule him out at, like for the season but it's a pec injury and that's not something yeah. as a defensive end that you're typically wanting to play through but how how do they go about compensating for what is a considerable loss up front I think, honestly, they're going to send more pressure. And I think you can afford to do that with Denzel Ward coming back. They're one of the most man-heavy teams in the entire NFL. Sometimes that means sending four. Sometimes it means sending five. Sometimes it even means sending six. But Jim Schwartz can have a lot more confidence in their secondary, especially with Denzel Ward back this week, 
to add an extra guy or two to the rush to not have to worry about what you're losing on the edge for Okoronko. And you brought up a great point because the Browns have been good against the run this year, and that forces teams into the third and medium, third and long. And that's when you can get into the sub package with Okoronko, Darius Smith, and Miles Garrett all out there. So if they continue to do that, you are losing a key piece on the biggest downs of the game. Yeah, it's it's going to be interesting really to see. And and I look at, you know, the trenches is going to be the matchup in this game. Bears, of course, lose Janik Ngakwe coming into this week. But there's an interesting matchup that I really want to key in on because Montez Sweat is now, without Yannick out there, probably going to get his pick on the side. And I personally think he's going to take on Gerard Christian here because former commander, he's seen this guy in practice before, maybe a little bit. I already know how to beat this guy how are the Browns going to protect Joe Flacco this week, who is a lot less mobile, has come out and played really well, but yeah, he's he's kind of, I mean, 39 years old. He's, he's no spring chicken no more. He's a little bit of a statue no. <laughs> in the pocket, and the Bears have really found a way to dial up pressure, yeah. even without Yannick out there and be able to get some pressure around that quarterback. I think it comes down to a couple things. The biggest thing, and, and Eric and I harp on this, Every single week when we talk, maybe it's because he's a running back and he believes so much in the run game, but you stay ahead of the chains, run the ball efficiently on first and even second down. You avoid those pure third and long situations where pass rushers can just pin their ears back and go get the quarterback. And that's where Montez Sweat excels for sure. Um, And Jerron Christian, interestingly enough, like he's been okay this year. What I've seen at least noticeably better run blocking. So you can just avoid the situations at least as much as possible where he has to just pass set and go one-on-one. That is probably the best. Avoiding the situation is the best to go about it. But they've shown they're, they're not afraid to put a tight end or running back in and go chip a pass rusher. I mean, outside of the the second Steelers game of the year, like they've had really good games against elite pass rushers like Josh Allen, TJ Watt, Alex Highsmith. They've done a good job um, with chipping. Uh, And now like they, they lose Dewan Jones for the year. And obviously he was only playing because they lost Jack Conklin for the year. And (laughs) Jedrick Wills has been out for the past couple weeks. And there was a hope that he'd come back. He was only on IR for four weeks. They announced he's out. It's, it's a battered tackle room. So, avoiding those third and longs is going to be the biggest key. The The best way to neutralize a good pass rusher is just limit the amount of opportunities he can get to just rush the passer. Yeah. I mean, the the O-line injuries have been like a storyline for this Cleveland team. And Ethan Pochich, their center, yep. is he's dealing with the stinger. So who knows as far as like the recovery time from that. But he didn't practice on Wednesday. How do you have this many offensive line injuries yet four quarterbacks four different quarterbacks this season that have all gotten wins and we take a look at what they were able to do with Joe Flacco last week to throw for 300 plus yards the protection must have been good enough in certain circumstances to allow him to do that what's been the workaround here to to fight to battle off some of these injuries and still be productive as a passing unit it's it's honestly different from quarterback to quarterback. Like when you had PJ Walker and Dorian Thompson Robinson coming in when Deshaun Watson was nursing the shoulder injury with the expectation mm-hmm. that he would be yeah. back, it was a lot of getting the QB on the move, making high-low reads, just looking in the flat and either checking it down or throwing it over the top. Like they're making life really simple for uh, PJ Walker and Dorian Thompson Robinson. And it's very it's similar with Joe Flacco, but Joe Flacco has been in the league enough where he can identify a blitz that's coming change the protection check to a different play there's a lot that joe flacco can do within the pocket pre-snap line of scrimmage that those guys couldn't do 
So I think he does kind of make up for that lack of mobility with what he can do at the line of scrimmage. Although I will say there were a couple plays last week where Joe Flacco looked a lot more spry than I thought he would. There was a nice little play where he broke the pocket through the ball 15 yards down the field yeah. on the run. Like I was like, I I haven't seen this in a decade. Like it, it was pretty, it was pretty insane. But I do think the biggest thing offensively has just been adapting to the quarterbacks and knock on wood, the offensive playmakers, the pass catchers for the Browns have been healthy and they've looked really good, especially with Flacco. They've looked really good. David Ajoku has been playing really well. Amari Cooper had 14 targets last week. I don't remember the last time a Browns receiver had that many targets. It's, Mm -hmm. it's nice to see. And I honestly think a lot of credit goes to Kevin Stefanski and the offensive staff for really putting them in good positions. Because again, you look at, you lose three starting tackles, one of the best running backs in the NFL and your starting quarterback, you're like, how is this offense scoring more than 10 points a game? It's it's the coaching staff. These guys are put in really, really good positions to succeed, especially offensively. Yeah, I was going to ask you about, you know, some of the some of the playmakers there. I mean, it, does it feel like you mentioned the coaching staff, but does it feel like Flacco just has more of a confidence and a willingness to get it to him? Right. David Njoku has been a guy who I loved Njoku coming out of college. Yeah. I've, I've liked him up and down with the Browns because of how up and down he's been with the Browns. But a lot of times, right, it's just we're not throwing the football his way. Last week comes mm-hmm. away six receptions, 91 yards, two tutties. Joe Flacco kind of used him as a safety blanket you mentioned Amari Cooper as well right like is it just more of a willingness on Flacco's part more of a confidence and I've done this for you know 15 years now pretty much like it's nothing new to me to go out there and just get these guys involved because all of a sudden it feels like an offense that is I want to say that's woken up just because we're actually getting the ball to these pieces I think so too and I think the Browns were not stuck in their ways with the other quarterbacks playing but You think of Cleveland Browns offensive football, you think an identity of running the ball 60-plus percent of the time, um, just pounding the rock, letting your defense go play and win the field position battle. Like That's what it was for the first two-thirds of the year. But now like you have, again, a quarterback who's confident. He still has a very good arm. He has good pocket presence. Like He can still throw the ball within the pocket. And I, I slowly think the Browns are starting to realize they can't run the ball as efficiently as they thought without Nick Chubb. Uh, I think Jerome Ford, efficiency-wise, has been great, but he's still splitting touches with Kareem Hunt, and Kareem Hunt adds another aspect of the the power, and he's very good in pass protection. Like You can't keep just one of them on the field. You kind of got to alternate in certain situations. But I think their running backs have not really had an opportunity to get into a significant rhythm, and I honestly think just you look at what their offense can do, the players on their offense, you're playing to the strengths right now, and that's the pass game instead of the run game. So the the equation of like roster construction and how creative the Browns have gotten with using what is effectively the 54th roster spot. Like Joe yeah. Flacco came in here, you know, from the couch to the practice squad. Yeah. And then he reverted back. He keep, kept going back and forth from like starter to the practice squad simply as a as a way to maneuver to get keep yeah. him on the team. And now after Sunday's game, immediately Kevin Stefanski says he's our starter for the rest of the season. We know the history between where Flacco had one of his best seasons in a Gary Kubiak offense. Kevin Stefanski with the Minnesota Vikings when yep. Gary Kubiak was a senior offensive advisor and then ends up being the the OC after Kevin leaves. That was the years that I covered the team. Mm-hmm. Um, that influence is there. And, I, and yeah. I'm wondering, as far as the, the things that 
Flacco is going to be expected to do now after after what feels like a renaissance sort of performance. How does the offense then change from what we saw earlier in the year, whether it was Deshaun Watson, whether it was DTR, even P.J. Walker in moments? Does it feel like Flacco is going to be able to operate this scheme better than the other quarterbacks because it's a scheme that's more tailored to his strengths? I think it is. And I think just the scheme, again, as well as the overall like personnel that's around him, like not having a healthy center, not having a good run blocking right tackle anymore, not having Nick Chubb, like mm-hmm. it's it's tailored to Joe Flacco, yes, but it's also tailored to the strengths of the team. And I think Amari Cooper is very underrated. Like I think you watch him go out one on one with again against a lot of corners, not a lot of corners can cover him. Obviously, David Njoku is a matchup nightmare. Like he's six six and run like the wind but <clears throat> i think the the scheme has been tailored to flack a little bit and the history of the offense could totally mean like the the verbiage used um in the kubiak offense it could totally mean checks that they've made and if that's a comfort thing with flacco that makes it even easier yeah I, and okay so like why did it take seven years into his <clears throat> career and all these weeks into this season for David and Joku to have a multiple touchdown game. Is it is it just to Pat's point that, you know, you got a veteran quarterback in there who knows how to utilize his personnel? I mean, he even got Elijah Moore going last week. Yeah. The Joku matchup, this feels like one that the the Browns have just, you know, been waiting and waiting and waiting to utilize. And then it finally happens against a very good Jags defense last week. Why did that take so long? <sighs> I think it's a combination of things. I think on the Browns end specifically, there has been no continuity at quarterback. So it's hard to expect somebody, especially in an offense when there was continuity with Baker Mayfield, that was all over the place. You had Nick Chubb getting 20 touches a game. You had Odell and Jarvis Landry. Like there were too many mouths to feed in that offense for him to expect those big games like that. Honestly, the Jaguars have really struggled against tight ends this year. I think that was totally a part of it. And I think the the third and one play action, 30-yard shot down the field where literally nobody was covering David Njoku was very much a play call thing. Like, it was great to see. It was a third and one, I think, of the 34-yard line. And the way the Browns have been moving offensively this year, they probably go for that on fourth down. So Kevin Stefanski thinks, okay, why not take a shot here and blown coverage? Like, I think it's a combination of a lot of things, but the biggest hand in it is certainly Flacco. Like, I think mm-hmm. he he has a confidence instilled within some of these receivers and tight ends that if they run the right route, if they do the right thing, they will be open and he will get them the ball. I think even with Deshaun Watson, that was not the case or it had not been the case very often this year. Now, here's the major question with this Browns offense, right? Because if we're being 100% honest, even with the injuries, you feel better about it having Miles Garrett out there. Yes, there's some yeah. major losses, but Miles Garrett, of course, <laughs> is the catalyst. You expect this defense to keep playing at a certain level that has helped them get to this 6-1 and one record at home. On the offensive side, though, how does Kevin Stefanski keep the magic of Flacco going? Because, listen, we've all watched Flacco the last five, six years. We've yeah. been here. There's two weeks, three weeks of magical play. Oh, he's still got it. He can move. He's throwing the football. He's a, and then he slowly reverts to Joe Flacco, and we go, oh, never mind. That was that was a fun three weeks, wasn't it? Yeah. Right? I think with the Jets, it was like, all right, let's get Mike White back in there. Let's see if we yeah. can get some more <laughs> magic out of him. All right, throw Zach back in there, right? Like, how do the Browns keep this magic going with Flacco? 
Well, I think looking at the past couple of years, there was no belief instilled in Flacco and Kevin Stefanski, like we talked about, said he's the starter for the rest of the year. So yeah. that that aspect of the equation is completely out of it. I also think that aspect of the equation plays in the hand of the fact that the Browns have no other options at quarterback. <laughs> like, you, can, you can start Dorian Thompson-Robinson, who honestly I thought was making good strides, but yeah. Flacco's better. Flacco is the guy. I honestly think it comes down to continually utilizing your personnel in the best ways possible. And that's what it's been the past couple of weeks, especially this week against a Bears run defense. That's I think last five weeks, second in the NFL and rush yards allowed a third in the NFL and yards per carry allowed. Like they can stop the run. So it's yeah. going, it's going to be a drop back game for the Browns kind of, kind of have to be, um, but continually utilizing that personnel, finding your mismatches and just continuing to scheme up things for these players to get open. And, you scheme up, you'd have a game plan that trust that Flacco trusts as a whatever 18 year vet, he will execute. That that's what I think at least. And if it's zone, he's seen millions of different zone concepts over the years. If it's man, I, I like the receivers that the Browns have, even the tight ends that the Browns have. I think Flacco knows where his matchups are in those cases as well. So I think it's more of a, a scheme and continuing to believe Browns offensively they have some advantage and maximizing the advantage to the best possible because last week against the Jaguars like they couldn't run the ball either the Jaguars run defense has been pretty solid all year but big mismatches in the secondary and they took advantage continually yeah 100% it's it's going to be really interesting to see kind of uh, what they try to do to get this ground game going do you expect a little bit of uh, like the Bears did last week a little bit of trickery uh, a little bit of uh oh oh there's Courtney. I didn't Sorry, well <laughs> internet issues here at Hallis Hall, but we're all good now. Hey, <laughs> as long as those are the only issues we got going on in Hallis Hall, <laughs> I'm fine with that. Um, yeah. but no, right? Like how how do you expect them? Because with this Bears run defense, the Bears have been really stout. Big Bill up the middle, yeah. Andrew Billings has really taken away a lot in the middle. And you mentioned the inconsistencies on the run. Is that going to be a focus or is there gonna be an abandonment kind of of the run where you use it? to try and like say, we're still willing to run the football, but Joe Flacco's airing this out all day. Uh, it's It's been interesting to see that the run percentage has gone down with Flacco, but again, the efficiency has gone up. So yeah. I, I think very, very crucial thing is the Browns stay ahead of the chains. Like we talked about, if you're behind the chains, just in general, but especially with a beat-up offensive line against a good defensive line, you're in trouble. So I think first, second down, it probably – will be a point of emphasis. And then if they can do it well enough on first and second down, they've shown the past couple of weeks, especially with Flacco, they are not afraid to just fake a play action and throw it over the top. So if they can get that going, it'll play into, into future play calls as the game goes on. But the only way I see a true abandonment is if they're trailing. And yeah. it's it's very much unlike Kevin Stefanski to truly abandon the run. But who, who gets the majority of the carries, how often they get the carries, that is... I, I have no idea. It's been the story. It's been the story like that all year. Like you have Jerome Ford. I think it was the Broncos game, eight yards of carry. And he touched the ball seven times, I think. It, it was pretty insane. So it, the running back room, the running situation is super unpredictable, but I would be shocked if they truly abandoned it. We know I, about that here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's, that's a very good point, too. We know about that. I know yeah. that it won't affect the Bears this weekend, but – you got to think about the timing for Grant Delpit. Signs the three-year yeah. extension, $36 million <laughs> hours later, suffers yeah. a season-ending groin injury. But it doesn't sound like it's truly season, regular season-ending because he's going to yes. IR. Correct. But 
big picture wise, this is an eight and five team probably needs mm -hmm. two more wins to be able to lock up that wild card spot potentially in the AFC North because we know that where Baltimore is and they're going for the one seed and that's probably their best path in as the five. Does it kind of feel like this team's going to be held together by like glue sticks and scotch tape if they get to the postseason, considering all of these injuries and all of the shuffling that they've had to do? And how does that make them, at least when we were trying to project this, how does that make them appear as a playoff contender? Are they a dangerous team? Are they just a team that's probably going to be a one and done once they get into the postseason, considering the injury issues? How do you forecast what type of playoff threat the Browns might be in a couple weeks? Well, I think right now, like if you look at the roster construction, assuming there are no more significant injuries and assuming Grant Delpit is back for the playoffs, I, it's a team that I don't think anybody would want to play because yeah. of how hard they play defensively. Mm -hmm. Like I think there's a lot of teams in the AFC that would hesitate to want to play the Browns because of how tough they will play you. And again, super unpredictable on offense. Sometimes that's a good thing. They're unpredictable on offense. I don't think it's a team that other AFC teams would want to see. It's Again, it probably will take two wins to get in. It's Chicago. I believe it's Houston, New York, and uh, Bengals. The Bengals are the last game. I think in New York and Houston are flipped, actually. But th those are the four teams. And, you know, you look at some of the teams the Browns have beaten this year, like those are four winnable games. And the reality of the situation is even if this team is – barely sticking together, they could finish with 11 wins. And mm -hmm. I, I hate to even look ahead to the AFC North crown, but if, if Baltimore slips up, it's not going to take much for the Browns to jump them. And the AFC is as unpredictable as ever this year. I'm sure you all know that any team can truly beat any team. It's, it's very open. I think the Browns with their best shot can beat any team in the AFC Will they get their best shot in the playoffs? Will they even make the playoffs? The real question, but will they get their best shot in the playoffs? I don't know. Tough to tell right now. Mm -hmm. um, but again, I think it's a team, assuming they do make the playoffs, that not a lot of teams would genuinely want to play. The one thing about this Browns defense that I've noticed, and I think it is going to help them long-term in the AFC, and even in this game versus Chicago Bears, is right. they made an adjustment on how they handle mobile quarterbacks. Because early yes. in the year, I mean, listen, it was it was a free-for-all with guys being able to get away, um, just getting away from Miles Garrett, being able to get away from this defense as a whole and use their legs to extend plays, to open up throws, use their legs to extend plays to get down the field. What adjustment did you see that was basically made to where this Browns defense has been able to kind of keep some of these guys a little bit more under wraps? Well, I think it's two things. One, like, on the field, physically, defensively, Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa, who I think is probably the most athletic linebacker in the NFL, is playing unbelievable football. Like, you you tell him to go eye in on Lamar Jackson, that's his job, he'll do it. Like, yeah. it, it's it's been pretty special to see. He's playing really, really good football. But one thing the Browns have really, really excelled with, and that's how they've beaten teams like the Ravens, the 49ers, is controlling the football. Like, the less you have the other quarterback out there, the less plays they can make. And I know defensively, it's it's a big thing. You, you want to contain a guy like Justin Fields. You want to contain a guy like Lamar Jackson. Don't let him run. At the end of the day, if they don't have the football, they can't run. And the Browns have been really good at controlling the time of possession, limiting those elite quarterbacks in terms of the physical amount of plays and amount of snaps that they have. It's the old-fashioned way to beat the Patriots. It's how teams have beat the Chiefs this year. Just 
keep them off the field. Don't let them try to make plays. And it's tough to it's tough to get into a rhythm if that's the case as well. Mm-hmm. The turnovers, are they an issue? Yeah. Is it a symptom <laughs> of the last couple of weeks? I know that Joe Flacco threw two interceptions in the last two games, yeah. one each. But then the fumbles, like the fumbles that he had, yeah. Amari Cooper had, then Jacksonville goes down and, and scores a touchdown off of that. It seems uncharacteristic and maybe just sloppy, but also there's eight penalties for 75 yards. Like, is that a symptom of bigger issues within this team? Is that something that was just, you know, chalk it up to, uh, you know, a hard fought game against the Jacksonville Jaguars? What is that? Because, you know, that's something the bears have been incredibly opportunistic in terms of forcing takeaways the last couple of weeks. And that could play into their advantage. If this is a sign of a continual problem for Cleveland. Penalties have been less of an issue for me. I think the way the Browns play, they naturally are so aggressive Mm -hmm. that they're able to make certain plays without penalties being called. And you can kind of live with the penalties, especially in the back end, the pass interferences and things like that. You can almost live with those if they're continuing to make plays on the football like they are when they're not getting called. Turnovers have been an issue all year. Like you turn the ball over. uh, I want to say the Jaguars got one in the red zone. And to the, the other one that they returned into Brown's territory, the turnovers have been bad. The timing of the turnovers has been 10 times worse. And I know watching some of that uh, Bears-Lions game, like the Bears super opportunistic with forcing turnovers and they get the ball in good field position. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I told my friends watching the Browns game, the Browns legitimately did everything they could to lose the game and still found a way to win. And that's kind of, honestly kind of been the key this year, but turnovers at bad times, turnovers in bad spots, that has been an issue. And, you know, the fumbles, the quarterback fumbles, it's kind of a protection thing in my opinion. But the the pick that Joe Flacco threw, it's just miscommunication. I don't know if you yeah. guys saw it. It was – defender ran into a receiver. Like, you could have called a flag either way. Like, it was just a, a, a big free-for-all. And, you know, you kind of got to live with that. And the other pick that Flacco threw last, last week was – a shot on first down, which uh, I don't know. I have my own opinion about that, but it was a, it wasn't a great pass. It wasn't a great pass, but again, they've been doing this all year and they're still finding ways to win. So I guess, I guess you can't complain. Listen, it's been a magical season for the Browns. Maybe they'll get a little yeah. squeeze a little bit more of that Joe Flacco magic magic out. I mean, listen, his Super Bowl run was magical. So maybe yes. there's that in their future. That'd be interesting to see. That's a long time ago, Pat. Long time ago. <laughs> yes. But still magical. It doesn't change the magic. The magic yeah. happened, right? It's just a little bit older magic now. It's less dust. <laughs> uh, or more dust, I guess. But at the end of the day, I think, honestly, we're about to see two teams that when you kind of start to look at them and look at how both defenses have developed, they're doing the Spider-Man meme right now. There's questions on the offense. They've got solid defenses. They're both going to come out here. What's your expectation on how this game plays out? Do you have the Browns winning? Do you have the Bears winning? What are your thoughts here? I do have the Browns winning. And to be honest with you, I think the difference in the game is the home field advantage. Like the Browns Mm -hmm. have been, it's insane. Like I believe in home field advantage, not to this extent. They have just been exponentially better at home. I don't know if it's the fans. I don't know if it's familiarity, the noise, whatever it may be. But they they defensively, especially, play really, really well at home. And even though the Browns are beat up, I think the addition of Denzel Ward. I don't know if you can say makes up for the loss that they have, but it's probably the biggest addition you could have outside of Miles Garrett. And offensively, I trust them. I do think if this was the old Browns where they were running the ball 25, 30 times a game, 
it would honestly be a tougher matchup because they're more comfortable airing it out now. I think they can play into that strength. So I do think the Browns win, but I do think it will be a very, very good game. Obviously, Justin Fields is playing good football. DJ Moore, I personally think, is playing like one of the five best receivers in the NFL this year. I'm a a big fan of DJ Moore's game. And defensively, they just continue to force turnovers and put the Bears in good situations. Hey. I'm I'm uh, I'm hoping you're wrong. I I don't think you're wrong. <laughs> and uh, I, I'm gonna say this: every time I pick the Bears to win, I don't think that we have. So uh, <laughs> I'm gonna stick with what I got going. I I also have the Bears. I think this is an a interesting uphill matchup. I think a lot of things play in the Browns' favor. So I'm gonna go. Uh, I think close game. Say 21-24 Browns. I think I said that last week for the uh, for the Lions game, and it uh, worked out in our favor. So let's see if that reverse psychology stays up. Courtney, what are your thoughts? What do you, what do you think? I have the Browns winning 27-21. And I know the spread on this game was probably smaller than most people would have thought going in. Yeah. But again, the injury issues, like this is the number one defense in the NFL, yet you take a look at the injury report from Wednesday and it's yeah. DNP, 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 which factors into what is their depth going to, how is their depth going to be tested? How's the Bears depth going to be tested? Like we know that the Bears pass rush has come along these last couple of weeks, but that's because you had two good, one great pass rusher in yeah. uh, Montez Sweat that allowed Unique Ngakwe to play a different way and, and play more more confident in that scheme. Now that you take him out, what does that do for that matchup with Sweat? How much yeah. more added attention is he going to get? How, how effective can this pass rush stay? So I don't know if they're going to get after the quarterback as much as they had in previous weeks. I don't know how many it's, – it's we that's why I brought up the turnovers and all of the, you know, the issues there with this offense – I don't know how many more times like you're going to get a Jared Goff keep putting it on the ground sort of game yeah. when when Joe Flacco has been able to bounce back from those and still lead this team to win. So I've got it as a one score game. Um, I do have the Browns winning though because you're right, Max. Like the the stats that have been pointed out about how oh, much better this defense is playing at First yeah. Energy Stadium. It's just it's wild, and sometimes there's like no real rhyme or reason to it, but it's notable this year for sure. Yeah, it it has been massive seeing the difference from home and away. So uh, that I think that home record gets a little boost. Let's hope that we're all wrong. Uh, <laughs> well, I guess for you, you hope you're right, but no, yes. I'm, I'm hoping yes. you're wrong. Uh, appreciate you joining us, Max. Let them know where yeah. they can find you. Drop all your socials, all that good stuff, man. Yeah, thank. Well, first of all, thank you guys for having me. It was a lot of fun. No problem. My my socials are all the same: TikTok, uh, Instagram, X. It's Lobes Leads L O E B S L E A D S. All right, make sure you guys tune in with him. Uh, great insight, great breakdown, and of course a great podcast as well. Uh, as always, it's your boy Pat the Designer, joined by Courtney Cronin. I on the enemy episode complete. Let's go get a dub versus the dog pound. Y'all stay safe out there. Peace.